Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 this morning. As we turn our attention to worshiping God with our minds, we are in the second to last paragraph. It's hard to believe our time in the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, and what it means to be a disciple are getting ready to wrap up. As we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, after our Advent series in January, uh, we'll kick off about the middle of the month, and we're going to move on in Matthew to the works of Jesus. And then after Easter, we finish the works of Jesus, we'll be looking at the church of Jesus up until uh, the summertime. So that's uh, where we are and where we're headed this morning. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Friday was our anniversary, and so Friday around noon, I was at Walgreens at Kirkwood buying an anniversary card because that's how men shop for anniversaries. And I'm walking up to the counter, and there's, the woman behind the counter is working to put the merchandise in these big boxes she has in front of her on the shelf. She's stacking them behind her, and it's cartons of cigarettes. It's a whole bunch of cigarettes. She literally has about four big boxes of these cartons, and she's unpacking them, and she's putting them. And so I walk up, my anniversary card, and she turns around, and I make my purchase, and she says what everybody says when you check out at Walgreens, right? What do they say? Be well, okay? And I look at her, and I look at my anniversary card, and I look at the cigarettes, and I should have just walked out the door. But I just couldn't help myself. I said, I'll take about 100 of those. And she's like, excuse me? I said, I'm sorry. Don't you think it's slightly ironic that you want me to be well, but you want to sell me a whole bunch of those cigarettes? And she said, I only work here, and I I heard that CVS doesn't sell cigarettes, and maybe you want to go there. So (laughs) I'm, I'm not suggesting one pharmacy over the other, but it just struck me as so bizarre and yet so just everyday matter of fact that there very often there's a disconnect between what we say and how we live. And sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes it, it provides a little humor for a sermon on a Sunday morning, but other times the consequences are much more significant. What happens to someone who says they're a disciple of Jesus, but they live in another way. What happens when we say one thing, but we actually live in a way that is radically different than the confession that we make? Jesus shares his thoughts on that with his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Hear the word of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, and he's speaking about the the final day, the day of reckoning. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather together this morning, we come, many of us, with joyful hearts, with thankfulness for your grace in our lives. Uh, Perhaps our uh, work this week went really well. Perhaps our, our family is doing well. Everybody's healthy right now, and then things seem to be pretty good. Perhaps our investments are are going okay and and there aren't too many storms in our lives and lord maybe there are others here this morning that could just barely get here could hardly even get in the door could hardly be motivated to come because the burdens seem so heavy 
and the challenges just seem so deep. And then, Lord, there's probably a lot of us somewhere in between those two places. Father, thank you that you know everyone here. Thank you that there isn't a single person in this room or a single person walking around on the planet, for that matter, that you don't know. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you that you came to provide a way of salvation. And you're not trying to exclude people from your kingdom. You're trying to invite people into your kingdom. You're wanting them to see the proper way. So as we look at these words, Father, which could be very unsettling to us at at first glance and perhaps cause fear in our lives, Father, rather would they be used by you to spark our hearts to faith, to a deep and abiding trust, not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning through your spirit and through your word. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to what people hear and learn and understand. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. I want to point out one thing very quickly before I move to, uh, to kind of outlining the sermon in a sentence and let you know where we're going this morning. And uh, the one thing I want to point out that is not going to be in the notes and not show up any place else in our conversation this morning is in verse 22 Jesus says on that day many will say to me Lord Lord and I just want to remind you that that a few weeks ago uh, we looked at the notion of the narrow gate and the wide gate back in verse 13 of chapter 7 and again I'm not going to put them on the screen I'm just going to read it briefly Jesus says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. He uses that same word. And I think it's important for us to remember that it is absolutely vital that we continue to preach and live the gospel of Jesus Christ because there are the, the majority of folks are going to be tempted to move in a different direction. And if we don't share the gospel, who will? If my life doesn't reflect the gospel, whose life will reflect the gospel? I can't assume that others are going to carry the water that I ought to be carrying. So this sermon is of vital importance, not only for our individual souls, not only for for your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny, but it's also vitally important for us to understand that Christ calls us to partner with him so that there will be more folks that know him, because clearly many according to Jesus, are making the wrong choice. So where are we headed this morning? Sermon in a sentence. Basing your salvation, or me basing my salvation, on anything other than God's grace in Christ Jesus may feel like faith, but it is not. And the outcome is eternally different. So we want to look on what true faith is really all about this morning. Uh, Understand the nuanced difference between something that could look like faith, but actually is counterfeit, in order that we may continue to, or maybe for you for the first time this morning, put our faith in Christ and follow him as his disciples. We must understand that this part of the Sermon on the Mount is actually the application. So very often in a sermon I'll say, you know, kind of so what? What do we do with this? And we'll, and we'll kind of lay out a pathway for folks to apply the, whatever passage of scripture we happen to be talking about this morning. This is what Jesus is doing in this paragraph and in the next. He's saying, so what? What does it matter that you've heard my words now? What are you going to do with them? And in these verses this morning, in 21 through 23, Jesus is going to help us understand that we must have complete faith 
in him. That's ultimately what the Sermon on the Mount is directing, is telling us that our faith must be in Christ, but then it's defining how that faith looks. And Jesus is gracious enough in these verses to give us three particular warnings about faith. The first is this, faith is active, not passive. Faith is active, not passive. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Lord is the correct title. Jesus is not taking issue with the fact that people are calling him by the wrong name or giving him the wrong title. Jesus said, oh, no, I'm not the Lord. That, that's not the right title. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he's saying exactly the opposite. I am the Lord. I am the king of kings. I am the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. I have all eternal authority. What Jesus is saying is that while they got the title correct, it's not just enough to have words. It's not just enough to say, Lord, there's something else that that must go along with that. A lot of you know my wife Cindy works with students at Kirkwood High School who are struggling with their grades. And now that everything is really driven by technology, if a student comes in and she sits, he or she sits down and Cindy will say, hey, why don't you get out that math book and complete those three assignments that you have missing, right? And they say, well, Ms. Ricks, I've, I've completed those three assignments. Well, that's where technology is a beautiful thing. She just looks on her screen and says, well, funny, the teacher hasn't checked off that you have, have completed those. Maybe I should call your teacher. Okay, I'll get my book out. Fine, I'll get going on my assignment. It's one thing to say your math is done. (laughs) It's quite another thing to actually have gone through the practice of completing it. And what Jesus is saying is there's so much more to the term Lord than just a verbal assent to my identity. It's actually the directive by which disciples will live their lives. You see, the Sermon on the Mount, as we've said before, and as many others have said long before us, is a manifesto on the life of a disciple. It's an example of a life of faith. It's how your faith and my faith work their way out on a daily basis. The Sermon on the Mount, in a sense, is your homework assignment and my homework assignment in discipleship. It's the opportunity we have to practice putting our faith to use in every day so that we're not just saying, Lord, Lord, but we're actually believing, Lord, Lord, in a very active way. So let me just give you a handful of, of examples by this. If you go back to the very beginning and you think about the Beatitudes early on in Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus calling his disciples to spiritual humility, Jesus is saying to his disciples, your faith journey starts with acknowledging that you need a Savior, that you are poor in spirit, that you can't save yourself, that you need God's grace. And then the Lord goes on to say, and one of the, some of the ways you apply this grace in which you stand is to be people of mercy, to be people who are pure in heart to be people who are peacemakers. And to that we say and we live, yes, Lord. So when the opportunity comes in my life to be a peacemaker, that's how I practice my faith. I don't go to to say I have a couple that I'm talking with that are struggling in their marriage. I don't go to them and say, now if you'll just come talk to me, we can get it all worked out. When I have a couple come to me who's struggling in their marriage, the first thing I say is we need God's help 
above all else. But God calls us to be peacemakers, and if we can apply his word to our lives, perhaps there's a better way here. And we actively live out the faith in which we believe. When Jesus says, be joyful when people hate you because of me, we say and we live, yes, Lord. We don't run and hide. We don't disengage from from the conversation. We don't go into a cloister sheltered life so we can protect ourselves from those with whom we disagree and those who harbor resentful feelings towards us because we love Jesus. We say yes, Lord, and we continue to give ourselves to the end that they would come to know him as well. When Jesus says don't harbor anger towards your brother or hatred towards your enemy, we say yes, Lord, in our word and in our deed. When Jesus says don't ignore the lust in your heart, And don't live for the praise of man. Our lives say, yes, Lord. When Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, instead of on earth, our lives say, by faith, yes, Lord. When Jesus says, Tom Ricks, don't you dare be self-righteous judge, as if you have no sin in your life. I am to say in my words and in my lifestyle, by faith, yes, Lord. That's what faith is all about. It is active. It is not passive. Faith is not saying, well, I know that God will work it all out in the end if I just say, I really like Jesus, so I really like Jesus. There'll be a lot of people who say to me, Lord, Lord, but who have nothing but passivity about their relationship with me. Jesus says our faith is to be active, that to live out both in word and deed, our trust in him. So our first warning is that faith is active, not passive, in verse 21. The second warning Jesus gives in verse 22 is that faith is in Jesus and and not in me. Now, I'm not saying me, Tom Ricks, every one of us, put put your name where I've said me, okay? So for me, it would be faith is is in Jesus, not in Tom Ricks. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do mighty, many mighty works in your name. Notice the emphasis. Lord, look what we did. Look at me. I'm doing such a great job here for you, right? We prophesied. We cast out demons. We did mighty works. In other words, we've earned our salvation. Lord, you should be very thankful to have us. We're a great group of folks. Probably everybody in this room at some point or another in their life has either been read to or has read the stories of Winnie the Pooh, right? My favorite character, hands down, in the stories of Winnie the Pooh is Tigger. And everybody should know the Tigger song. And I'm not going to sing the Tigger song, okay? But everybody should know it. A wonderful thing is a Tigger. A Tigger is a wonderful thing. His top of made is rubber. His bottom is made out of a string, springs. He's bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun. And the wonderful thing about Tiggers is that I'm the only one. Isn't it great to be me? Isn't it wonderful to be Tigger? You don't want to be Piglet. You don't want to be Pooh Bear. You don't want to be a Snuffleupagus or whatever that thing was. You want to be Tigger. How many of us? claim to have faith in Christ, and yet think that it's actually our works, our energy, our efforts that get us into heaven, that usher us into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, that's blasphemy. 
That's wrong. It's going to lead you on the road to perdition because you have no need for the Lord and you have no love for the Lord. And see, faith is about putting your trust in Christ, not about putting your trust in your efforts or your abilities or the things that you think that you do that would cause God to stand up and applaud. I want to show you by by way of uh, explanation, perhaps, uh, the opposite side of this coin. Because there's another place in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is talking about the judgment day. And he's talking about people who are coming into the kingdom of God. And it would seem as if it's, it's exactly the opposite or counter to what he's just said here. Because these folks are claiming that they've done wonderful things. If you go to Matthew uh, chapter 25, and I've, and I've scrunched this way down. These six verses are a lot longer. Seven verses are a lot longer. But I've comprised them. And Jesus is talking about himself, and he's talking to those who he's calling the righteous, and he's inviting them. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, enter into the kingdom. And then he says to them, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you came and visited me. You took care of me. Sounds like those great works about which the people in Matthew 5 were were claiming ought to get them entrance into the kingdom of God. But notice the response of those who are being invited in. And the righteous will say to you, and again, I've I've shrunk it down, Lord, when did we see you? And it goes right back through the list. Hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison. When did we ever see you in these conditions and take care of you? And Jesus says, the king answers this way. As you did it for one of the least of these brothers, my brothers, you did it for me. You see, there's a radical difference between these two responses. One of the group of people is saying, look at all of our good things, and that's why you ought to let us in. And the other group is actually surprised and taken back, and they're like, we, we, sorry, Lord, we we don't ever remember helping you as if that would get us into heaven anyway. See, they understand their good works in the proper context. The focus is not on their works as a means of salvation. They are genuinely surprised to learn that Jesus is taking great joy in their faith in him and how it has worked its way out in their lives in in acts of compassion and grace and mercy. He's celebrating with them because the the Lord has actually transformed their lives and their actions. And the natural outcome of a life of faith is actively loving and trusting Jesus in the ways we interact with our fellow man. Not as a means to an end of salvation. If you're sitting here this morning and say, I make sure I do something nice to somebody at least once a day because that'll get me into heaven, that's really, 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 really bad theology. The Bible doesn't teach that. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, I I have faith, I don't need to serve anybody, I don't need to care for anybody, I just need to have faith, that's really, 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 really bad theology. But when you bring the two together, Jesus says it's an act of faith. It's a faith in, in me not in you, not in your ability, but where it leads to is transformed lives that care for others. So Jesus warns us that faith is active, not passive. He warns us that our faith is in him, not in ourselves. And the third warning he gives is in verse 23, that faith is really the only thing. 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, salvation by grace through faith is perfect. Adding my work to it only serves to destroy grace. It ruins it. It takes it from being grace and it makes it something it was never intended to be. When our kids were little, I loved to cook breakfast on Saturday mornings. In fact, they'll all be home for Christmas and, and I'll probably cook at least five of the, the eight mornings. They're all in St. Louis. Anybody wants to come breakfast between Christmas and New Year's? Come on over. I'll cook you some breakfast. But my family will tell you, now that they're grown, that they didn't look forward to Saturday mornings quite as much as I looked forward to Saturday mornings. And it wasn't because they, got, they didn't like to have time with their dad. It wasn't because it was a nice little break and we could sit down and put on some cartoons and, and, and have some time together and just enjoy our, our, our family, a little bit of peace and quiet before the day got going. They will tell you that what was really uh, bothersome to them, even though they were raised to be polite children, wouldn't always say it, is that their father always was experimenting with the eggs. Do you know how many ways there are to make eggs? I mean, it's astounding. And, and a little bit of food coloring, a little bit of paprika, a little bit of celery. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways that you can really ruin a good egg. And I found hundreds of those ways. And so I would say, hey, come on, guys, we're getting ready to have breakfast. And they'd be like, what's in the eggs? You know, that's what you're hearing from upstairs. Like, we don't want to come out from under the covers if they're orange and purple today. You know, it's just, and they were right to, to, uh, to raise the question because I was ruining the breakfast. And when Jesus says, you're saved by grace, there's nothing else to it. It's my work on the cross for you. Believe that. Trust that. When we start to add to it, we're ruining the eggs. To the point where Jesus offers a very stark warning at the end of this passage. Because it's not just about a breakfast. It's about all of eternity. The rejection of faith in Jesus, first and foremost, makes us a stranger to him. Jesus says to us, I never knew you. We've never been in the relationship that you think we've had. You are a stranger to me. Jesus says, the only way to come to me is by faith. And if you try and come a different way, I, I just won't recognize you. My rejection or your rejection of faith in, in Jesus means eternal separation. It means that now is the time to make the decision of faith, not later on after death. Whenever I hear somebody say, you know... I'm not sure what I believe now, but I know that after I die, it'll all get sorted out. Well, that's exactly right. And that's a terrifying statement. Because Jesus says, depart from me. You see, I can tell you how it's going to be sorted out. Not because I made the decision, but because Jesus says so. If you, <laughs> excuse me, if you come to me with any other, by any other means that you think you're going to come to me, and it's not faith, we won't spend eternity together. We will be separated because you have rejected my offer of grace and of mercy. Rejection of faith in Christ because what Jesus sees is that it's actually not just a, a polite no. You know, my kids kind of holler down, what's in the eggs? They were trying to be nice. Jesus says, this is not a, not a polite no thank you. When you hear the offer of grace, when you hear the offer of mercy, when Jesus says, I died on the cross for you so that I could take the judgment you deserve, and instead I'm giving you my righteousness, I'm giving you my right relationship with God. So when the Father looks at you, he no longer sees a rebel, but he sees a son or a daughter. When we reject that notion, that's not a polite no thank you, that's open rebellion. 
because God has offered the way of life. And he's offered it freely to us, but at the cost of his own son. And when we say, no, I'm going to go another pathway, I'm going to reject this gift of grace, God says it isn't going to happen that way. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You who are intentional in your anarchy against the Lord. Three very important warnings for you and for me to hear this morning. How do we apply this text? Well, simple. The first question is, where is your faith? Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith in whatever the fates may, may have for you? Or is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you, along with many other people in this room, saying there is no other name given under heaven whereby we are saved in the name of Jesus, and I'm placing my faith in him, and then I'm going to practice my faith by following him. I'm going to trust that he will transform and change my life, which leads me to the second question of application. Are we saying, Lord, Lord, and living by faith in that Lord? You see, be well from a cigarette salesman is pretty disingenuous. So is saying, Lord, Lord, without really believing. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is a hard word. You call us uh, to faith, and you leave no room for us to paint a different picture or a different pathway. And Lord, there's no reason we should. For you to preach this sermon meant that you had to go to the cross. Because without the cross, there is no faith. Because without the cross, there is no payment for my sins or the sins of anybody else in this room. We're still separated from God. So, Lord, may we see that the, the application of this sermon for the preacher was, was death and, and the wrath of God so that he could offer us life, a living hope. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be people of faith that our sole and only trust would be in you. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room this morning that, that hasn't believed that up to this point, may they just bow their head and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you in faith, believing that you are my Savior, that your, your death on the cross has paid the price for my sins. And Father, for those of us in this room that call ourselves disciples, we would say, Lord, Lord, may we also live, Lord, Lord, for your glory for the growth of your kingdom, and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.